0: Back to this week's episode of the Get Ready Podcast. I'm your host, Credit. Alongside me, as always, is Grant. Grant, welcome on a Saturday morning pod that we're banging out here. We couldn't do it last week because of my travel schedule. We're back. We've had a lot of excitement. Um, you know, how are you?
1: First uh, of all, I'm tired. We had a wonderful weekend last weekend. So we had a we had a pause for a good reason. Maybe we spend three minutes to talk about our successes and our adventures last weekend. it's book club whenever you start these podcasts i always have a smile on my face because book club just brings that out so uh why don't you highlight uh last weekend and why we didn't have a pot on monday not because of your travel but because of a lot of other successes
0: yeah so we do another podcast and you're you're part of that one as well and you're the you're kind of the producer and me and our podcast host friend brian We went down to Vegas Saturday morning, crack it on first thing in the morning. We went down there, we signed up for these uh, sports betting contests, and then uh, we decided to go, we then proceeded to go on like a one day bender. And we went from the, the sports book to the pool, to a poker tournament, which shout out to you, you made the final table at the win Saturday poker tournament, which is that's, that's no small feat. I just want you to know that that is very impressive. So tip of the cap to you. Then, of course, we started to just make our way down the strip playing games, and uh, we had a nice 2 a.m. night um, where we ended up at the craps table and had a ton of fun. We were down to our last dollars, and lo and behold, if you played craps, mm. you know that there's a bet where you can make them all. And, uh, you know, you can call me J-PAL uh, <laughs> if you want because I just had the money printer go brr. You know? Yeah,
1: it was uh, it was quite the feat. $15 left. I put it on you, make them all. You made me a $1,000. It took you, like, 25 minutes to roll it. Uh, Rick Ross was outside watching great, just crazy stuff. You know, we, we probably drank a a jungle juice version of alcohol there. I mean, I started off with a lemon drop. I got some weird looks at eight 30 in the morning, drinking lemon drops and uh, you know, I just moved on to beer and then margaritas and mojitos. And next thing I know, I'm at the Cromwell at 11 o'clock watching you make them all. And yeah, I mean, final table at the win. I'm going to put that in my Twitter headline moving forward. (laughs) Definitely, definitely on your LinkedIn at the very minimum. Uh, accomplishments, <laughs> yeah. One final table at the win. Then I, then, I tried the, then I tried to chop everyone out, and they stared at me like I was ridiculous because I had the least amount of chips. I just, I tried. It's, yeah. it's not a no until you ask. That's what you told me in Vegas every time. You yeah, know, yeah.
0: The answer's always no unless you ask. The uh, the best part was I think you had less than the starting t- stack of chips, and you were just limping your way. Mm-hmm. And you were like, if you ever play Call of Duty, you know when yeah. you're like dying and you can just crawl. <laughs> <laughs> I was like. camping. I was totally yeah. camping. Yeah, was camping. I was like, yeah. I'm
1: lying. I'm lying. <laughs> uh, it was great. It got me in the money though. I made what I, Played $300 buy in and I walked out 1100 But then I had to yeah. give most of it back to you guys because you were out in 15 minutes. But it's okay. You know, that's socialism. Hey, that's how it works. We had a,
0: we had a partnership and uh, we the did. partners went bankrupt real quick. <laughs> I had <laughs> two sat, hands and I was
1: out. <laughs> for our audience, I sat down at the table within 15 minutes of a tournament that I lasted five hours. I got a text from Josh. Listen, I'm out going to cash tables. I was like, oh, all right. Well, if, okay. That was $300 that we could just through threw at something else anyways, yeah. it, was, it was a fun experience. Yeah.
0: yeah, it was a good time. A lot of fun. Um, transitions us into, let's go back to our uh, our book this week, uh, Price of Tomorrow by Jeff Booth. Uh, you know, the, the caption is why deflation is the key to an abundant future. Now, give me your just overall view of this book. I was really excited to talk about this 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 one because it is kind of a, a, about a hot topic right now, and that is inflation and what it means to our society and, you know, what we need to probably look at uh going forward if we're going to really make some changes because we got some things that that are going to be uh, tough to face here in the coming years
1: it was a it was uh an incredibly easy read good job jeff i give jeff a lot of credit because typically when you hear these type of uh the cover pages you know all about inflation and where we're going you know it's just going to be a long 13 hour listen and you're like this is not a, not a fun topic and it's more of a 140 characters in my mind you see it and you're like oh yeah inflation's in yeah yada 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 but uh, he did a good job of just outlining just technology and um, where we're going and how technology is deflationary and um, just the global economy and the mountain of debt we're currently in is it incredibly relevant to today. You know? I mean, I'm sure you have some statistics you want to share throughout the course of this podcast about where we are with inflation, maybe even a month ago, and how the printer is just going burr every single day. And every every time I turn around, there's another stimulus package. This time it's an infrastructure bill. So it's uh, it is very relevant to today's. Uh, landscape in the world and where we live, and uh, it was you know it was my book of choice. I think I got peer pressured by you to do it, but it was nonetheless it was it was something we needed to do in the month of July for sure. How about your overarching? Yeah, I definitely,
0: I, I definitely peer pressured you to it, but it was on your list, and I was like, oh, let's it was. do that one. And I was on your list, so, um, and I already got a head start on our next book, so I feel like I cheated a little bit. But your re- the next book is going to be money too. Uh, I'm so, excited. The uh, um, the thing about this book is it's the reason I like it is it's very broad, very easy to read, but it also lays it out in very simple terms. We're going to be facing, um, a technological shift in the way we produce goods. Um, and we're going to have a labor, you know, crisis where we're going to be long labor. Uh, we're also going to have, uh, an issue, with the growing amount of debt. Like we cannot keep growing at all costs. If you're just trying to grow the nominal rate of GDP, you got to see what what that cost is and that cost may be inflation. And we've got to limit the the way inflation is impacting us as a society is much more negatively than the growth is outpacing us on the positive side. So it's a net negative when you look at the growth plus inflation. So we need to look at potentially um, reevaluating how we run our economies. Now that's a big task because you're going to tell all of the, you know, politicians that are entrenched that they got to think in a different way. Uh, that's going to be really hard. I mean, talk about just getting to think a different way than their party lines, and you know, that <laughs> doesn't really go too well. So. It, understanding, you know, he talks about energy, which is really cool and how eventually energy will be free. He doesn't know when, but it's like, if you just look at the rate of uh, technology change year over year, over year, eventually it's just going to be free. We'll be able to get all the energy we need 50 times the amount of energy we currently use hits the earth every day from the sun. So eventually once we learn to harness that, we'll, we'll have infinite energy and energy costs will be uh, down to nothing. So that's, that's kind of my synopsis. So I'm going to go ahead and start walking us through um, the book, you know, talks about the, the, the first, you know, chapter is the end of inflation. And he talks about the age of inflation. And this is where, you know, he highlights the issues that we are We are wage earners. And when you're a wage earner in inflation, everything that you um, earn is being devalued in the future. And here's an example. I'm going to give this out real early. Inflation over the past, I have a past just four months. April, the inflation was 4.7. May, it was 5%. June, it was 5.4%. July, it was 5.4%. So year to date already, we're already at 21% inflation. Like that is absolutely incredible. Like a lot of the things we use, I mean, gas is the easy one. Now people think, call it a cyclical because it goes up and down throughout the time. But right now we are clearly in a inflationary environment and what all the government proponents are saying is, like, oh, it's transitory. meaning it's just a transition. It won't last like this forever. But the problem is, is these prices are never going back down. In the macro, they might go down 10, 20%, but they're already up 20%. So coming down 10, 20% is only coming down back to like 15%. So we're going to see a permanent of over 10% inflation this year. So that's my quick little spiel. I'll kick it back over to you.
1: Yeah, no, it was, it was a good explanation. It was, uh, where was I going to go with this? I think there's the technology that's happened. Like Think about COVID and basically everyone had us you know, the country got locked down for, I don't know how long did it get locked? It's still locked down in some cases, right? Uh that enhanced technology in, in some way, like all of a sudden, Zoom meetings and e meetings became a thing. Work from home became a meeting. Those are like technological innovations we weren't really ready for. We always just talked about and laughed at, uh, but we never really got there. But that that caused us to get there. And then once that occurred, people were losing jobs. And I would allow, I would even argue to say, like that type of technology was telling people they were losing their jobs, and we were getting rid of these meaningless. Uh, I guess these meaningless middlemen, right? Like everyone here does some sort of labor and makes a little bit of money for it. Well, this, these types of technologies are basically eradicating the small nuanced uh, parts of society that uh, an AI or some form of tech can can essentially do. And that's probably why you saw Uh, like all the owners of these assets, like these technological companies started to become monopolies. Like you talked about the banks in the early 2000s being kind of the winners and had the most power and have the most money. Now it's tech companies, Facebook, Google, um, Apple. These types of companies are now the monopolies in our world because they're the ones who create the technologies and they don't need a lot of... A lot of people who work for them are engineers. They're not just like your entry-level pawning off uh, an Apple iPhone as much anymore. It's all tech support. So it's, uh, it's a different world we live in. I would say uh, large in part, though, this this technology boom that's happening right now, I mean, I watched this whole Twitter video the other day on Tesla and uh, Elon Musk and he showcased like this first ever humanoid robot with Tesla AI technology that's going to be available in a year and it could just do basic functions and it saves a ton of just human time, meaning like it can lift 45 pounds. It's like a 5-8 structure. It's probably just going to start off something stupid like a nanny or a simple laborer, but eventually it's going to become Jarvis, right? That's, that's how I view this. And I, I don't know where we're going. I just know that we, we know who's spearheading it and it's the tech companies.
0: Yeah, a, a lot of things are changing just the, the way our, our world is going to look in 20 years. And we've talked about it. I think it's going to be faster than ever. And uh, we'll, we'll get to the, the example that he uses, which I think is a really fun fun example of just how the rate of change um, the exponential growth of technology is really impacting things. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to move into like how the economy works and how he talks about printing money. Um, and he, he says, you know, what experts got wrong. And then he talks about the world imbalance. And he's like the Ponzi economy, which we've kind of talked about a few times. Yeah. And then how cheap money is really the, the basis of a lot of our issues. And people don't realize that. Um, what did I tell you, Grant? I, I saw the line, you know, there is a shortage of everything except money yeah um and what what i didn't realize is that, that quote is from uh like 1926 or 19 whatever in Weimar Germany that's what that quote's from in time there's a shortage of everything except money and that's what the exact environment we're living in right now like the shortages of gas that's why the prices is so high. the shortages of cars that's why there's no one on the lots and the and the price of used cars is so high but there's money everywhere and that is a that's the key recipe for you know massive inflation which is what we're seeing and then, you know, the Ponzi economy, which it, it's kind of, you know, people always say like, oh, Bitcoin's a Ponzi scheme and this and that. It's like, yeah, wait till I tell you about the US dollar. This one, <laughs> guy, this one guy, this one guy prints it all, hands it out to banks. And the banks are like, okay, well, now now," he's like, you go lend that out and you make money on that. And I'm only going to charge you half a percent. You're going to charge them 3%. And then when they pay you back, you just pay me back. And we'll do it like that. No, if you can't pay, and guess what? If you can't pay on time, there's actually no limits on this debt. You just pay it back whenever you can. Here you go. Here, take the money, take the money, take the money. And it's like, what? We have this whole like credit score like world, like. I saw something like, are oh, you going to give me a 680 credit score? Do you have $27 trillion in debt? Check yourself, baby girl. Yeah,
1: I saw that too. Well, there's no social contracts anymore. I think uh, one thing I wanted to just tell people real quick is deflation is just basically, simply put, is just when you get more for your money and just as inflation is when you get less for your money, right? And right now we're highly inflated as a society. And I think the word he used in the book that I really loved... Uh, on the economics of abundance he called it luxury capitalism and i was like yeah, that's a good word thinking everywhere i go now everyone has a ton of money today right they're gonna all burn through it and lose it and then it's gonna kind of transfer to the top and the bottom will start to lose it again and want more and there's gonna be another stimulus and we're just somewhat trapped in this entire this uh, cycle of life and it's it's really the owners of assets who have access and who have access to like debt and leverage who are going to be the winners in the end of this and right now, it's those technology companies on an individual basis. If you, home, if you own assets, which I believe Bitcoin's an asset, uh, and maybe like real estate, those are two of the bigger winners that are going to eventually be the people who own those. And our hypothesis are going to be the, the winners individually at the top, as opposed to companies. I think the tech uh, sector going to be the winners uh, from a business world.
0: I, I completely agree. You know, he talks about kind of part two in this creative destruction that's happening, no. and the the easiest the easiest example, obviously, is Blockbuster and Netflix, right? That's the most well known and most sought out one. That's um, really easy to see. Obviously, retail stores um, are easy to see as well. Um, the The aspect that we're we're facing is these technologies are destroying old types of businesses. Like, think about how easy it is. And this is where Michael Saylor really, you know, we probably should read the Mobile Way, but he talks about you know, you can now push a new product at the at the you know at the moment you just hit enter. You just write some code and you can push a product all of a sudden. You know, you don't it's have crazy. to, you know, think about CDs, right? You don't have to manufacture the CD case, you don't have to manufacture this, you know, album cover, you don't have to manufacture all this stuff and then put it and then mail it. Think of all that cost that goes into delivering music to you know your vehicle. Now you just push a button, it's on your iPhone like that. Like that's that's the power of technology, and that's a really good example of you don't have to go through all of this manufacturing, this kind of waste, really, more than anything. I mean, making CDs and making all that plastic is just waste, and you're actually making the process more efficient and less wasteful. And now you have a product that you can do with a, literally almost no cost. I mean, it's a very minuscule cost to develop that because once you have the code written up to push, all you do is have to cut and paste the songs and just drop them into the code and just keep firing them. So That is one example of like creative destruction.
1: I love that. That was a good example because people, laborers specifically, more of our entry-level positions in society uh, think that you need that job. So now we're like, we're trapped in the system where we don't know what we would do with ourselves if we didn't have that job, not understanding the automation behind it. And it's you know, really the only thing driving growth in the world today is just like easy credit. That's pretty much it. Uh, and it's just outpacing everything we're doing. So I just and people who <laughs> are losing these jobs can't really outthink themselves in a box where they they can go get a different job and apply themselves. I mean, you mentioned earlier in the podcast, like the, how old um, our public offices and our president and like they just they just they won't they won't change it's too hard for them to change it has to be a complete like the next president has to be like 44 years old and someone who's a little bit more uh available to every generation in society i say it all the time i wish i wish our president was maxed out at 60 and started at 40 so it's just like from 40 to 60 anybody in that age range you can essentially be president because you can speak to every generation uh anybody above that 60 is a little young because you can still be with it but i mean how old is biden like 79 uh, late 70s trump was late 70s like The only way... It's like your body. Think about your body. Like, if you stay up for too long, your body will just put you to sleep. If we continue to work with these old adages, society will just eventually evolve around it and then you'll get picked out of public office and we'll just... Bitcoin will occur. Like, that's the good thing about Bitcoin and these cryptocurrencies is we just... We decided that... You know, the 1% has too much money and just the, all the uh, fiat tender in the world was just, it just wasn't, capitalism wasn't being utilized for capitalism. It was more like crony capitalism. So a new form of currency and store of value and digital asset occurred because we just, we weren't listening. Uh, not we, me and you specifically, but society as a whole and people who hold the power. Um, long rant. Uh, I don't know how to, where to go from that, but what do you take?
0: Very, very well placed rant because it moves into the the challenge of thinking differently, and this is what we need. And this is so hard for people to understand that. And Jeff does a really good example, of you know explaining how hard it is to think differently. And you know we're building on kind of the weak foundations of fiat, you know, currency. It's it's our weapon. We'll have to be the last ones as the United States to move to transition out of this system. Then he talks about this is a book we probably need to read about f- thinking fast and slow. Yeah. And the, there's two types of thinking. You know, when you get in the shower, like you, your mind kind of wanders. That's a different because your body goes into automate automation mode. And the same thing too when you're driving home from work, like that's just thinking fast. It just it knows what you're doing. You kind of you're on autopilot. Your brain doesn't need it knows exactly what it does. It doesn't need a lot of focus and energy on those kind of remedial tasks. But then you have thinking slow and that's really thinking through problems and solving issues. And he also talks about like this this framing in our mind about exponential growth and grant, I'm sure when you heard it, you were pretty surprised. You know, if we were to do this example, it's like, all right, if I were to fold a piece of paper infinitely, now a piece of paper, how yeah. you can only fold it about seven times. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you were to fold it, if you, in theory, could basically take the the thickness of a paper and you stacked it on top of each other, how, how many folds would it take, you know, to reach the sun or how many, you know, how many folds would it, yeah. Would it take to reach the ceiling? Something like that and what you're doing is you're doubling every time so you're taking and you know, you're folding that's two you're folding that's four you're folding that's eight so you're exponentially increasing and this is where like the magic kind of comes in if i would have said to you like, well how many folds does it take to reach the the ceiling grant what would you have said yeah
1: like i don't know 100 I don't know, how many folds on a piece of paper to reach the ceiling yeah i don't have an answer 15 20
0: I would have said, yeah, you need like 100 or 200. I
1: don't know. Right and now, it's yeah.
0: crazy. If you do that fold, that exponential growth thinking, 50 folds get you to the sun. Yeah, that was insane. Like that's just the kind of like framework we need to understand. And that's how fast, because I do hear like the people, I'm I I, I, I I'm in the camp on the energy side where we can't do too many renewables too fast because they're unreliable. But at the same time, that technology is going to move much faster and we're going to continue to, to gain on those technological growths, where eventually, yeah, solar—the solar power will power everything. We will have enough. I don't know when—fifty years, hundred years—probably sooner than we think because of the exponential growth and what they call Moore's law, where you have a compound. We talk about compound interest, right, on financial and in a ten percent, gr- a ten percent compounding, it doubles your money. What every eight years? Yeah. It, so technologies, it. yeah, technologies compounding at twenty percent. So you're doubling the rate of change of technology. That's like every three years. So that's just an example of a long-winded way to say, yeah, we have to think differently. And this is how hard it is to think differently. And things are moving so much faster than they ever have because of technology.
1: It really is crazy though. If you think about it, like imagine being, our parents right now and just having access to everything that you know i have a 15 year old who has just got way more access to everything than my than i had let alone my my parents like they didn't even have cell phones back in the day like my dad gave me a story one time where he's like yeah me and my buddy were bored we just you know grand theft auto we picked up this car drove it across town parked it and uh went to the store came back drove it back and Parked it again at a church and uh, we went home and literally nothing happens. I mean, if you did that today, there would be six helicopters and it'd be a white Bronco on the highway. And it would just be a complete, uh, you would know in minutes, right? Like you're just walking and there's an Amber Alert. They didn't have those back then. So, I mean, that that type of technology is rapidly advancing. And I mean, it's, even, it's actually even getting to a scary level where you have algorithms like TikTok and Facebook that literally know exactly what you want and are serving it to you and keeping your attention on their platforms longer and longer, whether it's true or not. So it's a it's a scary world where and I think technology is I don't even know what it's gonna look like in twenty years, right? Like when we're when we're fifty and hopefully retired and we're, you know, I have my own bar tending it somewhere in just the Bahamas. I don't know what it's gonna look like. But uh there was a, a pretty cool quote that he talked about in technology in the book. And I I wanted to read it. He said technology should be driving everything cheaper. But rent, housing prices, fuel, 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 food, and other many other costs are rising, driven by an enormous rise in credit and debt. And then he talks about how debt combined with deflation is just an absolute toxic combination because borrowers have to pay the same for their interest payments while earning less. So it was a, it's scary. I mean, you you think you know inflation until you get someone who really knows it and they talk about it in a book through techn- uh, technology lens, and you're like, God, we're in trouble. I don't. I mean, I don't. Outside of Elon Musk and a handful of others, I don't think if, most of the society is just lazy. I look around and everyone's on TikTok six hours a day and everyone's just right now no one's working. I mean, I literally drive down my street and every every place is like, yeah, hey, we're hiring 15 an hour, 17 an hour, 19 an hour. Dude, I was making like six bucks an hour as a cashier like 12 years ago. It's crazy how quickly that money has to get to a point where people feel the need to actually work, which is even crazier to think that people aren't even working. <laughs> <laughs> then they wonder why their supply chain anyways long long story short it's just all all relevant in today's world and we have like refugees
0: right now from afghanistan and and people are like freaking out that they're coming here i'm like
1: guys we have a later labor shortage bring them yeah. here let's go like, let's bring them on
0: the governor of Utah is like yeah just bring them here like we need them we'll, we'll dibs dibs dibs, <laughs> dibs bring them just flying right here we'll take flight we'll take frontier flight you know one one five four from afghanistan
1: listen uh, just people like Harmans are going to line up we need baggers let's go yeah. bring them on in
0: um, and that that's thinking differently right i mean as a as a as a as a government official it's like hey no actually we want the refugees because we need the labor and most people aren't doing that they're like nah, we don't want to it's, but they don't look at the the macro they're like oh this is our country get them out of here blah 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 like no we need people and people has always been the growth of our economy is growing people that's one way to grow an economy so I don't know, that's a little little uh tangent as well kind of piling in um, I want to talk, you go back to this technology makes things cheaper. I just explained, you know, how a song or even an album delivered to people costs so much yeah. less, right. And now you can get, you know, Spotify for 10 bucks a month, where if you wanted to buy a CD, it was, you know, 15, 20 bucks. And if you wanted to listen to a, a different CD, you had to buy like six different CDs. So that's like 120 bucks a year, but you only have so many songs. Now you can pay 120 bucks a year and you have unlimited songs. You listen to all the songs in the world. And that's something that's completely changed the the way we operate. And yet pricing keeps going up. So what happens is you have the cost of everything going down, pricing of everything goes up. So therefore your margins expand and the owners of the business make all the money, which is why you see these explosive CEO earnings and these founders making millions of dollars and And all of this incredible stuff, like Facebook is a quintessential example of flipping, of of completely changing the model of advertising where they don't have any cost. They don't have a cost of goods. They just take your content. They put it in front of people. They take your content and then mix in their ads with it. So they don't have to produce anything. They just got to make ads. They got to make a better service to keep you on there. And that's all they have to do. And that's just driving down the cost of everything, exploding margins which, I mean, it's it's going to continue to advance like that because the cost of everything, the labor is going to go to zero. Inputs yeah. will still grow higher, but the labor is going to go to zero
1: they created an information sharing network that everyone loved because it played to their vanity of their you know who, who they're in a relationship with what they look like it's just all vanity that they just know that's the ethos of society and most of society wants to be like the eighth grade yearbook example every time you get a yearbook you pull it out you go straight to the page look at yourself you don't look at anybody else look at yourself first so that's kind of what social did is they just essentially create a platform where they played on everyone's vanity they went there and then they used it as a, a place where media started to media started to embed itself into because it's like oh if that's where all the attention's at we're going to start giving you advertisements and you willingly gave them information so whenever people like facebook's the worst i'm like well you know you're the product like you you willingly gave over everything you wanted from your birthday to as your male to every single picture and they just essentially made enough money to uh technologically advance around it and now i mean i think a more fundamental way of telling people about technology would be is like technology is just removing the middlemen that's all it's doing it's getting cheaper because they're removing all the middlemen you can go straight to the source quicker and that's kind of what bitcoin does and then we go back to it, it's like it's the fiat it's the currency version of that is the better technology gets the le- the the less amount of people in the middle get the benefit from it. It's just him and her, or, you know, there's basically going to be two parties at the end of the day. And that's why everyone thinks businesses will eventually, everyone will start to work for themselves at some point. That's a hypothesis. A lot of that's built around the premise of technology. It gets good enough to a point where everyone has, everyone will have internet soon. So now internet won't be the problem. And it'll get to a point where everyone can now interact one-on-one basis. And that's where the government's going to kind of get screwed is how are they going to, how are they going to make their money outside of taxes? <laughs>
0: Yeah. I mean, th- this actually, it all boils down and it all, it all leads to, we're going to have this massive AI powered. I mean, we're in an AI company and basically what they're doing is they're manually, you know, we have a lot of repetitive things in both of our jobs. I'm sure. Where mm-hmm. It's like, man, why can't we just build something into this? Like, you know, Hey, people ask me for contracts. They need to ship on it. Well, why can't they just say, Hey, I need the contract to X. And then it just filtered through like Google filtered through our system and spits out the contracts. Like that should be a thing that works. And half my job is just chasing around contract numbers. Yeah. Then it's like, well, eventually that will happen. Eventually it will be an AI. It'll be a Google search type algorithm that just blows through our systems database and says, yep, here's the answers for you. Um, there's a lot of those things that are coming in, in, in the way we program. Cause it's just math. It's just iterations. It's if then, if this, then that, if this, then that a lot of those compiled together, and that's just going to make, I mean, drug manufacturing is going to go to almost nothing where you will be able to produce drugs in an incredible amount of short time. Like, you know, this whole COVID vaccine, uh, everyone's like, I mean, it's a really good point. Like vaccines take 30, 40 years to develop, you know, to fight like polio and all these other things. And the COVID vaccine took, you know, one year and people are like, that's a problem. But also, I mean, you know, let's, let's give credence to where credence is due. There is an increase in technology development. To- allows you to develop things faster you know Yeah. Um, that, that that's that's just a thing that really does happen over over that time time period and this going back to this ai this information where you're just going to be able to plug these things into these advanced algorithms which is just a basically a, a ribbon of if then functions that will spit out answers for you much quicker than we could if we just sat down and did the math by hand and then you're going to be able to repeat those functions over and over and over and over and over and And it's going to speed up the time well you'll still need like guys like me and you to read that data and and interpret it and make the decision but the decision is going to present itself much faster
1: yeah to your vaccine example i go back real quick i i while there is skepticism i'm a little skeptic of it right but not so much so i would say it's because everyone's applying old adages of it takes 30 40 years to do this i mean that's that's what it used to be. Technology advanced so quickly through the compounding that you talked about that it, it really could have been two to three years and we did it in one. Like It, it really could be that through all the, the sequencing of AI and genomic sequencing where you can essentially create a vaccine and put it through this AI bot uh, or just all sorts of technological advances to a point where... You could have found the answer 30 years earlier because you just had large sums of data coming in and this 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 AI bot was filtering them out and to the point where it got down to a handful. And then a human like you and I, all, all they had to do is make a decision based on five to 10 examples and not millions of examples that they had to physically do themselves. So, uh, I mean, I thought Peter Thiel wrote a whole book about this, Zero to One. He talked about AI. But how AI, really, the whole point of it is, is to take large sums of data, narrow it down to a small point, and then have a human actually make the decision on it. I mean, that's literally what's happening in society. And I think the vaccine was done in that breadth. Um, but it was just, you know, the lens it was looked at was through, like, a polio vaccine and how long it took polio to happen. It's like, well, it's not really apples to apples, guys.
0: Yeah, the, the one thing on that AI I want to continue to trend to talk about is like talk talk about like the body digitized and how much information like Apple has more health information on me than my doctor does. Mm-hmm. It could be good and could be bad, but let's say in in the in the premise and the framework of you know making decisions, health decisions for you through a, a healthcare professional, that's good. They have all that data and they can say, well here, Josh, when you work out, we can see that your heart rate spikes and does this, or it doesn't do this where Josh, you're actually the epitome of, you know, the human body. And we should try to replicate you the, whatever way we can. And that's probably what would happen if I went to the, no, I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) But you're able to like get all this data and it understands your body and work habits and workout habits and all, all this stuff. And now you're able to generate all that data here, present it to a a healthcare professional. And then now he can make the decision, he or she can make the decision to say, this is the best method for you based on your lifestyle. Or if you continue down this lifestyle, you're going to be just fine. Vice versa. You're so unhealthy. Like we've got to change things and you got to start doing this. And I can see you can't lie to me because I have all this data. Um, that's just another example of the the progress of AI and the progress of healthcare the direction it's going to where Apple may, may end up being a a healthcare type company in the, in the very near
1: future. In the book, Jeff, Jeff made a statement. It wasn't his statement. He took it from somebody. I didn't write down who, uh, but the statement essentially says, I'm a firm believer that talent is distributed evenly across the world, but opportunities are not. And that's where we get to the point is like, everyone has these talents, but it's just where those opportunities exist and who wants to basically put their time and effort towards those opportunities. Uh, That's where the world's going. I know it's a really broad, broad quote, but I love the quote. Very good point with the, the quote. His, you know, I
0: read this book. It's called Scythe, it's like a dystopian future. And it talks about how like the the cloud it promotes the Thunderhead. It basically all the information eventually gets conglomerated into one cloud system. And he's able to solve all these problems because he's like, you know, the solution was already there. It's just connecting all the dots. Like all the talent is there. That's why, like, I don't think climate change is a problem we need to worry about. We just need to continue to go down. We don't need to make any new laws or anything. We need to let technology and scientists and uh, engineers continue to work on the problem and continue to collaborate. And the problem will solve itself. We're very resourceful uh, society and species in general. Like We're going to solve those problems. We're going to make solar more efficient. We're going to find and unlock. Honestly, if you look at the invention of our favorite asset, Bitcoin, It's going to solve this energy because it's going to go capitalize energy sources in a way we've never seen before. So it's going to promote these renewable energies because that's usually the cheapest form of energy where you're going to have new societies in the middle of what we used to be nowhere. But now people can monetize these energy solutions where they can send them to the Bitcoin network or they can send them into the society that they wish to. So those are just kind of examples. Like we have all the information and you talk about opportunities slash the information and and talent meeting each other in the right vector so that they can really explode um, their knowledge and and really create and develop something new that's impactful for society.
1: Yeah, I I completely agree with that. So absolutely 100%. Like I think we're always going to get there. It's just how fast will we get there? It's just a lot of it is just, we make decisions on emotion like you saw an an infrastructure bill but a bill recently about cryptocurrency and the regulation around it and it was like an over it was unanimously agreed upon besides one like 87 year old senator said no and the reason he said no wasn't because he didn't like the bill it's because he didn't get his way in a different bill it's like that's that's where the halt's coming in is just people you know their feelings are hurt so they don't want to pass something they know is good for society and uh that's where you know sometimes like just politicians put governors on things, and it's just like, what are you doing? Like, uh, you know, put a governor on your, you know, like when you go golfing and uh, you can't get the golf cart to go faster than twenty miles an hour because there's a governor on it. That's essentially what our politicians are doing sometimes with technology because they don't fully understand it. They want to just put a governor on it. You're like, no, 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 no listen. There's a lot of people who know what they're talking about. Listen to them. You didn't. They're regulating something they don't know anything about. And uh, that regulation is halting the progress of where we're going. And to your point, I mean, there's a ton of talent that wants to take on Bitcoin in the cryptocurrency world and just build an entire DeFi structure. But uh, people still are holding on to the past. That's because they're 87 years old. Uh,
0: what well, very well said and very good point that was just made. I mean, you have a, over a $2 trillion you know, asset network that has been built in the last 10 years uh, that we're just going to all of a sudden start slapping unnecessary regulation on it because we think we're going to get all this tax revenue from, but nonetheless, you know, as we continue to to move throughout this book, he, he does talk about Bitcoin in a very, very small subset because he does not want to make this book about it. If you follow Jeff at Jeff Booth on Twitter, if you follow him on podcasts, he is a proponent of Bitcoin. And he says that this is where we can kind of slide in and I know you have some more quotes and stuff, but when we talk about deflation, this is what Bitcoin is bringing to us. It's allowing us to say, hey, I'm just going to hold this asset. It's going to go up in purchasing power and I'll buy something when I absolutely need it. What we've done with this cheap credit and cheap money, we make cheap shit. And I apologize for my language, but you basically make stuff that doesn't last and you were willing to spend it because our money... Psychologically, we know is going to be worth less in the future. That's why everybody rushes to buy a house because they know they're going to be more expensive, and we're not going to be able to buy as big of a house. I mean, think my wife and I were going to buy a house two years ago. We decided to wait through the through the pandemic and through this kind of crash. And guess what? Houses are up twenty percent. It's like wow. Well, we just got kind of kicked right in the dick. Luckily, we had a lot of our money in Bitcoin, so it's kind of kept. It's actually outpaced purchasing power. So we are a little bit lucky in that in that form, but. That's what this deflation is. Is it's a fixed monetary asset that, as everything grows in the world, it grows faster and it holds its store of value. And this is an example of like you know having an abundance and using deflation because you know as Bitcoiners we think the the, the purchasing power is going to continue to increase over time. Yes, ups and downs daily, but if you stretch that line out instead of weeks and stretch it out to decades. Our purchasing power is going to go up. We're not going to buy as much garbage and we're going to save our money to buy things we really want and
1: need. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm one of those people who my my house is priced 25% higher and I'm like, should I just sell it? And my wife and I talk, It's like, hey, just wait, just wait two, three years. It's probably worth infinitely more. I know people right now are like, sell it because it's going to come back. I'm like, I just, the way the way the money's getting printed in the world, hard assets like the one you own now are only going to get higher and higher and higher. I don't see them ever going back down. And maybe I'm wrong, but I, you know, I'll, I'll take that gamble, but I, I do think Bitcoin from a business and just a progress standpoint is just way better. He outlined this like in 2000 he said the world's cumulative debt the world's cumulative debt was 62 trillion, almost twice its collective GDP of 34 trillion. In the early 2020s, the numbers rose to 247 trillion and then 80 trillion, respectively. So debt is now three times the GDP. In those two decades, it took $185 trillion of debt to produce $46 trillion of GDP growth. That's horrible. Like, that's just like the amount of money it's taking. It's like, I got to spend 4X to make 2X is what was happening in the traditional world. And I think that's where that's why we always talk about Bitcoin solves this. Like these crypto, I know cryptocurrency and Bitcoin are two different things to you. And you know, you're a Bitcoin maximalist, but I still think there's a lot of value in the crypto world. Uh, these things solve for, you know, I can get one to one, not four. I, I spend four to get two. I don't know if that, that's absolutely one, that's a rant. correct.
0: I, yeah, it was good rant. I have, uh, I was taking notes because I want to go on a couple different, uh, thought processes with you or thought scenarios or what thought experiments. I don't know. Mm. We're going to, we're going to explore some thoughts here. Exercises. There we go. <laughs> the first, yeah. The first one is the house scenario. It's, it's fun to hear. I, I think, cause you've asked me about this as well. And I think I told you like, what, what are you, what are you going to be able to buy? Like you're going to have a ton of fees and you're going to have a bunch of stuff that goes into this. You're actually going to lose purchasing power selling your home today. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, I'm probably one of the few people that have told you don't necessarily like to sell your home um, because like, you're not going to get anything more for it unless you're going to downsize or unless you're going to move to a different you know, cheaper location. But the house scenario is exactly that. Everyone's like, Oh, I got all this money in my house, but the purchasing power of that house is much less mm-hmm. when you, Put it in the price of cars put it in the price of you know another house put it in the price of gold it's much less than what it used to be because of inflation blowing up real assets it, now it is retaining your purchasing power like you're still keeping equal with all things in society so that's great i mean that's a really good example of like hey i have all my my house and all this net worth but is it worth anything
1: so let me give you an example then. So you're right. I agree with you. I think the strategy behind that is instead of selling the house and taking the money, why don't you take a loan against your house and use that towards buying another asset? Then you have two assets. Is that essentially what you're saying? Is just be smarter about how you use it. Don't give up the asset, just take a loan against it.
0: I mean, that's a great example of using that asset to your advantage instead of, get, don't get rid of the asset, don't sell it, like go take a loan because it's hard for people to understand. And this is a safety name who wrote the Bitcoin standard. He talks about this podcast. He's like, well, what people really should be doing is taking out debt and buying hard assets. The mm-hmm. problem with that is it, it creates stress. And that is what the problem in our life most of the time is we have these massive mortgages. So we're always stressed out at work. We're always worried about getting fired. We're always worried about, will we end up our end, our paychecks? We don't have enough savings. Um, And, and from there, it's, it's just a, uh, it's a cycle where the math says yes, but your psychology is, it does wane on your psychology very much having that kind of debt.
1: Yeah. It's just large risk. I think everyone, likes to take risks, they just don't like to take it at that magnitude because they think if they were to lose, they would lose their house and then they would be they wouldn't they wouldn't know what to do from there. People like to take the risk of, you know, running a red light. That's an easy risk for them. Uh, as opposed to uh, you know, basically putting all your chips on the table and, and leveraging the debt that you have on a house to buy another house because they're afraid that if you don't get enough tenants, then you won't be able to go upside down on it. And uh, I just don't think – some people don't have the stomach. That's what I've gone to is there's only a portion of people in the world that want to take those risks and buy houses, like yourself. Like you have 10 units, I believe. Uh, not not everyone in our circle group will, will do that, but mostly because they don't have the stomach, and sometimes they just don't have – they're just lazy, I would say. Not our group specifically, but just – 50% of America just won't do it because they just won't do it.
0: Yeah. The, uh, the thing about this risk is you have to calculate it in a way like, right. If you, if you, your example, you were to take the risk, like understand that you're going to have a monthly payment on that. So yeah. even if it does go belly up, can you just survive the monthly payment? In very worst case scenario, even if the tenants don't, I have tenants, we have 14 units, not to, <laughs> to brag, but uh, That's impressive. <laughs> we, we have 14 units and we have, uh, one, two, three, we have like three vacancies right now. However, you know, cash flow wise we are having to come up with some more cash right now to keep this thing running. But once we get them running out, we'll be cash flowing again. The asset, though, has appreciated so much that we're, we're weighing the money. Now, could it come crashing back down? Absolutely. So we're not necessarily counting those chips, but that is a backstop if we needed it to, to go out, take a loan against some of these properties, keep the funding going. Um, you look at it as a, as a, as a version of like, how, can I afford a $500 monthly payment? for a $300,000 home equity loan. Okay. Yeah, I can. Then the risk is worth it. And most people are not willing to calculate the risk in that form. Um, so just, just another example. I know, I know we've been kind of going, uh, in a little bit of a tangent. This has been a really fun, uh, exercise. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what do you have that you want to end with this book on?
1: What do I have? Uh, we're going to continue to print money, so inflation will continue to to rise. I, I could probably confidently say that, based on you know we've had a president in office, which I'm happy he's our president. Right? I, I don't. I mean, we could we could do better. but We could always do better. Uh, he's shown no signs of holding up in terms of printing more money. Like I think every quarter there's been a, a stimulus to some degree. So I think inflation is going to continue to rise. Um, my, my argument right now for people is if they have money available, uh, invest it, put it into Bitcoin, put it into public markets, put it into hard assets so they can get money. Like saving money today is the worst thing you can do. That's my PSA. What about you?
0: Own hard assets. Technology is going to make things cheaper, but politicians are going to make them more expensive. That's how I would look at it. Uh, very okay. simply. Um, so as we wind up here, I'm going to go ahead and break down the next book we're going to jump into, and it's going to be the serendipity mindset. Uh, it's one of the books that was, uh, talked about in books that we've read already. Uh, It's just about how you can create your own luck and, you know, the idea of serendipity. And we talk about, you know, on this podcast, one of our big mantras is, you know, luck is opportunity meets preparation. So get ready.